Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Hi, this is uh, Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. Hey guys, this is Cam York from Team USA. Hello, this is Tim Stutzler. Hi, my name is Noel Gunnler. I'm Alexander Holtz of the Team Sweden. Hey, I'm Dylan Cousins. Hey, it's Phil Tomasino. Hi, this is Devin Levi. Major Junior. Looks back to the point, turns, fires, scores! What a shot! First OHO goal for Shane Wright. Right circle, shot, scores! Connor Bedard has arrived here at the Brad Center, is first in the Western Hockey League. NCAA. Save! Watch out! Watch out! UMass are national champions! The NHL Draft. I am Slash and Kosa. This is Don Gunther of the Emmett Snow Kings. This is Luna McLoom from UGarn here. Hi, I'm Brent Clark. Hi, uh, this is Matt Coronado from the Chicago Steel. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Hey, it's Paul Stones with a two-fall stampede. This is Fabian LaSalle. I play for Lulio. Hey, it's Corson Kuhlman from Brooks Bandit. Hi, this is Chaz Lucius. This is Logan Sandkoven. I play for the Camels Blazers. It's just Wolfis from uh, Lulio Hockey. And more. Bring it! This is the Pipeline Show. The Quebec Major Junior Hockey League is back. It's not official yet, but expect the OHL and the WHL regular season, the end of the seasons, to be pushed back. How do the Winnipeg Ice prepare for a month where they play basically a game every second day? A WHL broadcaster hits another milestone. An AJHL team finally ends a winless streak. The Muskegon Lumberjacks are chopping down the opposition, and Tri-City is storming up the standings in the USHL. The NAHL Top Prospect Tournament is right around the corner, and an NCAA Division I head coach has a COVID scare that leads to heart surgery. Welcome to the Pipeline Show, everybody. My name is Gee Flaming. If it sounds like everything is happening right now, it's because it is. Holy cow, what a newsworthy uh, week it's been in the world of prospect hockey. This is the Pipeline Show, which is brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky because you can't win friends with salad. Two locations for the uh, local audience. You can go to Spruce Grove or Leduc and pick up your uh, beef jerky there as well as a variety of other products. But if you're not in the local area, well, good news for you, especially if you live in Western Canada, because they will ship it to you. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada, contact Trent in Leduc, and those orders will be sent to you vacuum sealed, fresh on delivery, and absolutely mouth-watering delicious. WilhawkBeefJerky.com, and if you haven't tried it yet, I recommend it highly. highly. I can't recommend it anymore because it is legitimately the best beef jerky I have ever had. All right, let's jump right into the news and notes. And, uh, well, the big news in the CHL this week would be that the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League is getting set to return. They haven't played a game since before Christmas. So it's great to see. I believe every team in the league is back up and running and will be playing this weekend, I think with the lone exception of the Cape Breton Eagles. Uh, But that's great news. Take a look at the uh, CHL top 10 for this week. The Winnipeg Ice, who have also been idle here for a while and and will be for pretty much, uh, I think, until this coming Thursday, so almost another week. Uh, The Winnipeg Ice are still number one. The Edmonton Oil Kings are number two. They've actually caught the Winnipeg Ice in the WHL standings. But because Winnipeg hasn't been playing, they've got like five games in hand. So by points, Edmonton is pulled even with them. But by points per game, obviously not. The Everett Silvertips are third in the uh, CHL's top ten. 
followed by the Charlottetown Islanders. The Portland Winterhawks are number five, so that's four WHL franchises in the top ten. Excuse me, in the top five. Then you've got Mississauga, Quebec, Kamloops, Kingston, and Sherbrooke. Your honorable mentions this week go to the Kelowna Rockets, the Hamilton Bulldogs, and the Sioux Greyhounds. Now, I mentioned that the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, uh, well, we talked about it last week. Maybe it was even the week before, but they've announced that they're pushing the end of their regular season to the start of May. Previously, all three leagues in the CHL, that would be the Q, the OHL, and the Dub, were all expected to end around April 3rd, that weekend. Well, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, because they basically missed a month and two weeks, so like six weeks, they they, they want to play 68 games, but they can't do it in the calendar as it is, so basically adding a month onto the season to make sure they can get all those games in safely. And I would expect the OHL and the WHL to do the same. Will it be a full month? I don't know. Two weeks at the very least, maybe three. But that hasn't been announced yet. Sources tell me it's coming, though. Now, I was just talking about the Winnipeg Ice, and they've their, their schedule in March is ridiculous. From March 2nd to March 29th, 28 days in there, they play 16 games. 16 games. That's more than a game every second day. They have a couple of uh, three and threes. You know, the schedule makers trying to uh, uh, eliminate as much travel as possible. And, I, and you're up against it. I mean, uh, it's it's obviously because of COVID that this wasn't the initial, the original schedule by any stretch. But, you know, in there, they've got a doubleheader against Prince Albert right at the end of that schedule in March. Uh, both of those games in Winnipeg. And then a game against Moose Jaw on the 29th. So the 26th, 27th, and 29th, those three games all in one place, so there's no travel there for the ice, but it's still three games in four days. Before that, on the 18th, 19th, 20th, they're playing at home against Brandon, then they go to Brandon, and then they return home to play against Regina. So three games in three days with a little bit of travel in there. It's not all that far. Maybe the the worst stretch or one of the tough stretches be right at the start. They're at home to Lethbridge, then uh, one day off, then they go to Saskatoon, and then the next day, they're in Prince Albert. So it's, it's going to be a tough schedule for uh, the Winnipeg Ice. And you wonder, how do they handle that? I mean, that's a lot of activity. Knock on wood, you, you hope their injuries don't start uh, becoming a factor. But you would understand if they did. I mean, that's not a lot of rest time. And, you know, listen, we don't want to get too political, but uh, it looks like the governments in Alberta and Saskatchewan are both about to do away with all the restrictions and and. Uh, mandates for vaccination and and uh, mask mandates and you would have to think that's probably going to lead to more cases of covid coming up hopefully that's not the case but i think what we've learned to expect at this point is the you start opening things up and eventually you're gonna have to close them down again uh, hopefully that's not the case this time around but uh, in at least in saskatchewan and alberta that appears to be the way the provinces are moving here Meanwhile, the uh, the hottest couple of teams in the WHL right now, well, clearly the Portland Winterhawks are the hottest team. They're 13-0-0-1 in their last 14 outings. They are on fire. They've moved up to third in the Western Conference. Now, it's been a challenge for them to catch Kamloops because Kamloops is 6-0. The Everett Silvertips are 5-0. And the Kelowna Rockets are sitting in fifth place. They're 6-0. And in the Eastern Conference, uh, while well, the Oil Kings are, are playing some pretty good hockey right now, but the Moose Jaw Warriors are 6-0, and and uh, they've been ripping it up. They have wins recently against Edmonton, Winnipeg, and Red Deer, the three teams that are ahead of them in the Eastern Conference standings. So uh, things starting to tighten up in the WHL, and I think that 
makes for an exciting stretch drive to the playoffs. A shout-out to Les Lazaruk, the longtime voice of the Saskatoon Blades, who uh, called game number 2000 earlier this week as uh, the Blades were in Regina to take on the Pats and came back and won that game in honor of Les, I'm sure. But uh, Les, you've heard him here on the program a number of times over the last uh, decade and a half, and uh, always a great guest, terrific broadcaster, really great guy when you talk to him in person as well. So congrats to Les on uh, hitting the 2000 game mark. The Oil Kings are in Saskatoon tonight, and I know they are having a, a celebration for Les. Not the Oil Kings, but the Blades are having a celebration for Les uh, in the first game at home since he hit that record. Over in the Ontario Hockey League, the Mississauga Steelheads continue to roll. They've won their last five in a row. They've got a pretty good cushion on top of the uh, Eastern Conference standings right now as well. 11 points separating them and their closest uh, rival. That would be the Kingston Frontenacs. The North Bay Battalion right on the heels of the fronts with Hamilton hanging around there as well. Uh, but there is that big gap between Mississauga and the rest of the field. Now, that said, Kingston also has four games in hand on Mississauga. They've actually got six games in hand on North Bay. So another reason why I think the OHL schedule is going to get pushed back as well. In the Western Conference, the Sioux Greyhounds are on top, but they uh, took a, a big loss against North Bay this week. The team that seems to be doing the best right now in the West are the Flint Firebirds. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10. They are in third place in the conference because the uh, London Knights are in t on top of their division. But they're uh, one of those teams who have played, well, actually, I think the London Knights have played the fewest games in the entire OHL. They've only uh, been able to get into 32 contests so far. And when you compare that to North Bay with 42, yeah, they're going to have to push the season back to get all these games in. Let's switch gears to the Alberta Junior Hockey League. I mentioned a team that was on a, a massive losing streak. Finally, it gets a victory. That would be the Olds Grizzlies. They're in dead last in the AJHL. Just a record of 7-36-5. Uh, but they finally got a win. And it came at the expense of the Okotoks Oilers, which I think surprised a lot of people. The next game for the uh, Grizzlies is tonight. Th that would be Friday against the new franchise, the Black Falls Bulldogs. The Bulldogs actually have twice as many uh, points, more than twice as many victories than the Grizzlies do this year. So by no means are you uh, looking at planning a, a, an expansion team and thinking, well, this is this should be a win. Because wins have uh, been few and far between for the Grizzlies this year. And speaking of hot clubs, we go to the USHL. The Muskegon Lumberjacks are 10-0-2. In their last 12, they have overtaken the Chicago Steel by a single point. The Steel do have two games in hand, but the, the Lumberjacks are playing some really strong hockey. And the Tri-City Storm in the uh, Western Conference, they've got a 13-point lead over the Sioux City Musketeers. They've won 10 in a row. And dual citizen Stephen Halliday of the Dubuque Fighting Saints continues to lead the USHL in scoring with 54 points, but Jackson Blake right on his heels with 53. In the North American Hockey League, the uh, big news is the uh, Top Prospects Tournament that begins on Monday the 7th. It's a two-day event. There's going to be three games over the course of the... Actually, there's six games over the course of the two days. Uh, three games on each day. They've invited the uh, U-17 squad from the National Team Development Program. They've got a team from each of the four divisions, the Central, Midwest, East, and South, and they have a sixth team to make it a an even number that they're calling the Slacks. It's uh, the younger players from 
what would have been the rosters, the initial rosters for the four divisions. So the selects will play against the uh, the U17s, which makes sense. Now the the format for this is that it's it's all players who are uncommitted to NCAA schools. So this is a great opportunity for them to uh, get more uh, eyes and uh, more opportunity. And then there's a, a sprinkling of players who are also on uh, NHL Central Scouting's radar for the upcoming 2022 NHL draft. I'll actually be speaking with uh, someone next week uh, on the show to recap what happens at the tournament. And um, the, the guest is actually uh, Ashley Chase, who is the first female play-by-play broadcaster in U.S. junior hockey history. So uh, she is going to be on the show. She calls uh, games for the St. Cloud Norsemen, who are right in the thick of it in the Central Division this year. So she's got a good team to watch. So uh, spoiler alert, there's one of the guests for next week's show. Uh, let's wrap it up with the NCAA and uh, the head coach from Cornell. His name is Mike Schaefer. He hasn't been with the team since uh, early January. So he came down with COVID, uh, actually had to stay in North Dakota. They were on the road. He had to stay in Grand Forks after the team returned uh, home. And unfortunately for him, uh, the situation with his COVID just got worse. He actually had to go to the hospital. And while they were there, they figured out that uh, he actually had heart, he needed heart surgery. So he had a stent put in. Uh, so Mike Schaefer hasn't uh, rejoined Cornell just yet, but uh, reportedly doing much better and uh, hopes to get back to the team uh, very soon. So all the best to Mike Schaefer. That's scary though. I mean, obviously you're going to the hospital because of COVID situation. That's scary enough. But then to be told, you he also got a heart problem. Uh, that must've been frightening for the head coach. So uh, glad to hear that it's uh, working out for him. Let's look at the pairwise rankings in the NCAA. Kind of go, sometimes we look at the polls, but the polls are kind of uh, subjective. Uh, when it comes down to which teams make the NCAA national tournament at the end, you got the six automatic bids and the rest are at large. Well, let's look at the top 20 according to the pairwise, and uh, that goes in this order. Michigan is number one, followed by Minnesota State and Denver. Then you've got Western Michigan, St. Cloud State, Quinnipiac, Michigan Tech, Massachusetts, Minnesota Duluth, and Ohio State. That is your top 10, followed by the Minnesota Golden Gophers, Notre Dame, North Dakota, Massachusetts Lowell, and then sort of we get to the bubble because, you know, there's going to be one team from the Atlantic who is very rarely in the uh, top 20. They're going to get an automatic bid because the, the somebody's got to win the conference. So when you get to about the 14-15 ranking in the pairwise, then you're starting to talk about the the bubble. Uh, And that would be Providence, Northeastern, Merrimack, Clarkson, Omaha, and American International AIC is ranked 20th. They could be that team in Atlantic hockey that uh, gets that automatic bid for being conference champs, but they got to win their playoffs. Also saw news from uh, College Hockey Inc. that TSN is showing a number of men's and women's NCAA Division I hockey games uh, throughout February. I believe they're up to about 60 games this season so far that have been broadcast in Canada on TSN. So that's awesome for college hockey and great job by College Hockey Inc. to get the uh, eyeballs in Canada on the college game. We're going to start this week's show off with an NCAA campus report. We'll get to that and the rest of the guests in in a second, but... A reminder that all my guests do join me, courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. Troubled Monk, beverages worth sharing, brewed right in Red Deer. You can go down to the tap room. So many varieties that you can get there and exclusive to the tap room. They got them right on tap, obviously. And But if you've got some favorites, 
and you want to take them home, I know they've got the fridges stocked right there that you can uh, pick and choose. You can even get like a, a six pack, but one of this kind and one of this one. If you want to try, you know, your own little variety pack, you can do that right at the uh, tap room in Red Deer. But as we always say here on the Pipeline Show, if you live between Calgary and St. Albert, including Sherwood Park and Edmonton and all the towns in between Calgary and Edmonton, you can get home delivery absolutely free. What you do is you go to troubledmonk.com shop. You'll see all the varieties that they have to offer. And it's not just beer. They have soda. They have the, some spirits. And when it comes time to checking out, make sure that you use promo code PIPELINE. And that order will come to you right to your door. No charge for that delivery. That's troubledmonk.com shop. Beverages worth sharing. And they've got a new one I haven't tried. My second rodeo. It's an English mild, they call it. The guest list this week, three guests for you. I had the, I left the door open for a fourth one because I thought I might be able to get, well, it was actually Chase. I was looking to see if she could join me late this week, but we're going to do it next week. So just three guests this week, but they're beauties. Jimmy Connolly from USCHO is going to start things off because next week the annual Beanpot Tournament gets going. We always like Jimmy uh, to come on the show and sort of preview what's going to happen. And this year a little bit different because some teams are impacted by uh, the Olympics. So we'll count on Jimmy to uh, walk us through that. And it's not just about the bean pot. We look at Hockey East in general and also some newsworthy items, including what's happening with Michigan. There's a lot of turmoil with the Michigan Wolverines right now. From there, a segment looking at the 2022 NHL draft with the help of Mitch Brown from Elite Prospects. He's their head North American scout. And I, I sent him an email to ask him to come on the show, and I, and I gave him a couple of head-to-head matches. I said, hey, can we talk about, like, David Yurichek versus... Simon Nemich, you know, they're both outstanding players, but they're different players. How do you assess the differences between them and what's more valuable? Uh, so we did that. And also with uh, Owen Pickering and Kevin Korczynski out of the Western Hockey League, both of them defensemen as well. And then Mitch said, that sounds awesome. I can talk about that for a long time. But also, here's five other guys that we should talk about. So we got a lot to cover with Mitch Brown for the upcoming NHL Draft. And we're going to end this week's episode with a 2022 draft spotlight. And we will chat with a player who is draft eligible. His name is Matthew Semenov, plays for the Kamloops Blazers and having a terrific season for the Blazers. So we've got a uh, loaded show for you. We're going to start it with a NCAA campus report. Jimmy Connolly from USCHO. He is up first here on the Pipeline Show. Brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. <laughs> Hey, it's Don Holler from the Wisconsin Badgers. Now he goes cross ice, center ice to Holloway. Drop pass between his legs, Weisbach refeeds Holloway open, scores! <laughs> One game, fantastic play. Holloway, Weisbach back to Holloway. 1 1. Wow. Then you're listening to Pipeline Show. NCAA Hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Joe Pavelski. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Johnny Gaudreau. Score! And Tori Krupp were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! 
You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. You know, I hear the camera adds 10 pounds. Looks like you've eaten five cameras. We are back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky, but this is a college hockey uh, update uh, segment, and those are brought to us by our friends at College Hockey Inc. If you're a player or you have one in your family and you need to know what you can and can't do to maintain your eligibility, well, get in contact with everybody over at College Hockey Inc. Great resource, and uh, their uh, website might answer a lot of your questions as well. So uh, College Hockey Inc., they do a great job. Uh, check them out. All right, my uh, my guest to uh, walk us through the NCAA and the uh, recent happenings and look ahead to the uh, upcoming Beanpot Tournament. This time of year, we always like to get Jimmy Connolly from USCHO. Jimmy, welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm doing well, Guy. Hope you're uh, doing well up there, up in the northern land. I guess you're getting more weather than somewhat like we had, so I guess it's that time of year. Well, not nearly as much snow as you're getting, but uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it's winter here as well, but uh, you, we were kind of joking about it uh, before we hit the record button, and you're saying, hey, we chose to live in these climates, so I guess we get what we, we deserve. <laughs> I absolutely believe that. You know, if I wanted to get away from snow, I'd move to Florida. Yeah, exactly. But then you got to live in Florida. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's look at what's happening in college hockey right now. And uh, let's focus on Hockey East because the, the race in the in the in that conference, it's it's uh, it seems like there's a lot of parity in the conference. And it almost to me from the outside looking in, it's like, uh, you know, there's an opportunity for one or two teams to really grab the grab the reins and, and take over the conference. Yet it's so competitive that nobody's been able to do that. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it's very fair. Um, you know, I've, I've looked at, you know, kind of top to bottom, you know, teams have played well, but nobody has played consistently well throughout the entire year. Every team's had some sort of a downspout at, you know, in, but at the same time, I look at, we use that word parity a lot, but I look at the bottom of hockey East right now and Vermont and Maine are tied with 10 points each, but I'll tell you those two teams, I've called four or five of their games uh, this year and they are, as competitive and as difficult to beat as anybody right up the top. So, um, you know, it feels like you've got kind of a three-horse, four-horse race, you know, with UMass, Lowell, UMass, BU, and Providence. But, you know, then you look and Northeastern, you know, grabs a point here and Merrimack somehow comes out of nowhere and UConn, you know, is a good team and they have a lot of games in hand. So you think that you, you know a little bit about the standings and then one weekend changes everything and next thing you know, uh, you've got another kind of accordion here where everybody's getting a little bit closer. Um, the most interesting thing, though, is, you know, when you look at the pairwise and really there's nobody from Hockey East dominating and mm-hmm. even near the top of the pairwise, which is probably the most concerning thing for the league. I mean, if the, if the season ended today, I, I believe they get three teams in the tournament. Um, but, you know, nobody is on solid ground, even UMass, which is the most solid, they're only at eight in the pairwise, which is, you know, if people remember the pairwise, that's halfway, you know, there's 16 teams in the tournament, really it's 15 spots in the pairwise because, you know, somebody from Atlantic hockey is going to take that 16th spot. So right now you have Lowell sitting at 13th and Providence at 15th. I mean, that there's your bubble. Yep. And then Northeastern's right below the bubble. Merrimack's right below them. So there's teams that are kind of close. BU is bought back. I think they're 41st in the pairwise at one point, but they've gone in a nine one and one run and they're now up to 22 but it does it, it's one of those seasons that if you're the commissioner of hockey east steve metcalf you're sitting there saying oh boy like where are our ncaa teams going to come from 
So that might be the one caveat to what has been a really competitive, you know, parity lace season is that it's getting more challenging to get, you know, teams from Hockey East into the NCAA tournament. Any reason why you think it's it's kind of played out like this this year? It, it, I've, I'm kind of curious because it's it's a year after the, the season that was really impacted by COVID. And with the transfer portal, there was a lot of movement around college hockey this past year. Does any of that play into why it's so tight this year? I think certainly the, the transfer portal um, has allowed some teams to bring some players in, but it's also had seen some teams lose some key players. Um and, you know, but then you look at, you know, I look at a team like Merrimack or a team like UConn, you know, they've, these, both of those programs have kind of been building toward this season. You know, Merrimack two years ago brought in a massive freshman class. And that freshman class is now a bunch of juniors. They're a little bit more experienced. And, you know, the, and I think they've snuck up on a lot of teams this season and, and been very competitive. And UConn, you know, you can say the same thing. They've had some really good players that, have stuck around three and four years and you know you see that what the benefits of that and then on the other side of that you look at boston college last year and how dominant that team had the ability to be at times but they lose four guys to the nhl in the offseason and that's you know that those are big big losses and mm-hmm. it's it's taken a toll on their re- overall record you know you're looking at a bc team that you know we use the word pairwise they don't even think about it because they're 32nd in the pairwise right now they're below 500 and you know and they're struggling every single night and it's not going to get easier as they lose players here to the olympics so um i think that you know some of the teams you perennially think about boston college especially being one you know i think that they were maybe not damaged by the transfer portal as much as they were just early signings uh, speaking of the Olympics, I'm uh, glad you brought that up because there's a, a number of collegiate players who are headed uh, to China and uh, may have already left. Are there a lot of uh, teams in Hockey East who are impacted? Or are there one or two clubs who are impacted more? I'm thinking of Northeastern without Devin Levi. That's a big hole. <laughs> it is a big hole, um, certainly. Um, you know, the, you've played a goaltender the entire season and now he's going to, you know, head off and, and play for, for Team Canada. And he was all already missing, you know, Canada left a week earlier and they went over to uh, Davos, Switzerland to, to play, um, you know, have some sort of a, a development camp over there for, you know, a week, week and a half. The U.S. team, I believe you're right, left either yesterday or is leave, leaving uh, today. So uh, these guys are suddenly, you know, missing, you know. So you had, you know, but TJ, uh, I'm going to say his name, Semptenfelter. Okay. Semptenfelter. I said, I think I said it right. Um, he'll be the goaltender, I believe, while, um, while Devin Levi's away. And he, that's probably going to be the better part of a month. Um, but he, you know, he played a game the other night against UMass Lowell. Um, did, you know, didn't come out with a win. They lost two to one, but that was more of his offense's fault because I believe he finished the game with 30, four saves or something like that. So he, he, it wasn't like he was suddenly, you know, you have a seven net, you have, you know, you still have a goaltender who you recruited and, and, you know, was a freshman. Maybe you didn't think he was going to get to see much time in net this season, but the Olympics will, will bring that there. And then, you know, uh, Boston university losing Drew Camesso, that'll be another uh, pretty significant loss in net. He'll, he'll be one of the backup goaltenders, I believe for team USA, um, BC, they lose, um, Drew Hellison on the back end, Mark McLaughlin up front, you know, Jack McBain, he went over for Canada. So you've basically lost your, your two best forwards and, you know, your best D-man. So I feel like 
you know, those three teams will have such significant losses. And, you know, I, I talked, I guess I was talking to Mel Pearson about this uh, in Michigan a, a few weeks ago. And I think they were going out to play Notre Dame or something. I said, is there some urgency? I didn't know. I guess it was before the Minnesota series. I said, is there urgency to this weekend? And he said, absolutely. So once these guys are gone, we've got to play three weeks without them. And, you know, they, they've lost a lot of really good players. Um, so any of these teams that lose, you know, you lose your top score, you lose your best goaltender. I think it will have some impact. And, and, you know, I guess the fact that you didn't as coaches plan for this because you thought the NHL players would be, be going over. I think that's, if there's any frustration, I think coaches could be frustrated, but every coach I've talked to, um, about this, they've all said we would never hold a kid back from the Olympics. We, you know, you get the chance to play in an Olympics, you got to take it. And I, I kind of respect that uh, approach. Uh, I'm going to circle back to hockey East in a minute. We'll talk about the bean pup, but, uh, you mentioned Mel Pearson. I got to ask you, hey, we, we didn't, I didn't uh, give you a heads up that uh, I was going to ask you about him at all, but at Michigan, there's a couple stories that he's right in the middle of the one about rescheduling earlier this year, uh, right around the world junior championship and, and how he's kind of taken some heat for that. And also, I think just this, in the last few days, it's been uh, talked about about uh, how they fudged the, the COVID record uh, for the team heading into the NCAA tournament last year. Uh, what's happening there? Yeah, you know, I, haven't, I don't have a lot of inside information on it. Um, it's, you know, especially that second story is kind of just coming out over the last day and a half. Um, there's been some stories out there. You know, I don't want to speculate too much but you know it, it it doesn't look great and mel's a good friend of mine i i respect everything he does he's been around this game for a, a very long time um but it, you know it's not the it's not the look you want for your program and i get it he's he's in he's been placed in some tough situations you know i think that he really wanted to play in that ncaa tournament last year i hope that you know it's not going to come out that they were you know intentionally being deceptive about uh, who had COVID and who didn't have COVID and all of that sort of stuff. I know that, you know, he has said to me a few times, they had 25 healthy players when they were supposed to be heading to regionals, but still were disqualified from the tournament because of COVID. So um, I know that there was some frustration on their end. Um, but I, you know, again, I, I, it's hard to speculate. I, you know, everything I'm telling you is what the, what, what the information is that's out there. Um, but it's, you know, yeah, I hope, that it's that there's a little bit more to the story than what's coming out. Um, you know, when you're a front runner, everybody wants to take a shot at you, yeah, right? And yeah. I think you know Michigan certainly falls into that category, and they've had the the riches over the last few years in terms of recruits and you know recruiting some of the best, highest draft picks ever um, in college hockey history. So, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of people out there, you know, who are looking for stories and if you give them something just a little bit like we seem to be getting here it makes your program you know get a, a little bit of a black eye i hope that uh this isn't something that will tarnish anything about that program all right fair enough uh and the other coach uh, is rick bennett at union who's out now and and really we don't know a whole lot of details on that either do we no i i certainly i've, I've tried to make some phone calls over the last few days and um, you know, there's a lot of rumor that there was, you know, some, some sort of altercation with the player. Um, and, you know, we've seen this before I and mean, not recently, Brian Kavanaugh, Canisius was a you know good friend of mine, but he, he got chased down by a player that didn't like him. And, he, you know, he had, done, he had done something wrong. I think he, he tapped the kid on the, the head with his, uh, with his stick and, you know, he lost his job. We saw it with Mark Morris at, uh, 
at uh, Clarkson, I guess it was, years ago. He ended up resurfacing at St. Lawrence there for a couple of seasons. But, um, you know, I don't I don't really know Rick Bennett that well. I've probably had a chance to, to speak with him and interview him maybe three or four times. Um, always a pretty upstanding guy, and he's, he did a ton with a hockey program that didn't give him much. You know, he didn't have scholarships the entire time. He's had to find, find ways to use financial aid to attract some players um and you know so wins a national championship at a school that you know i think their their total attendance at the school is around 2000 students so um i have a lot of respect for what he's done there but obviously that you know something happened that led the administration to ask him to resign and he did um i wouldn't be surprised to see him resurface somewhere else he's, he's a good coach and he, he makes a lot out of nothing Jimmy Conley from USCHO is my guest, and this time of year we always like to uh, talk about the bean pot. Sometimes uh, we've had you on in years past, like during the bean pot. I think we one time you were at the at uh, the rink in Boston right after a game in in the bean pot. Well, this uh, this year we're <laughs> it's it starts next week and the week after as well. Uh, but of the four teams, Harvard and uh, Boston University, BC and Northeastern, is there a clear cut favorite this year? <sighs> No. And I think that, you know, a, a big reason is what we kind of just talked about is the fact that, you know, teams are going to be missing players. You know, you're looking at BC being, you know, missing three of their top players, uh, you know, Nick Abruzzi from Harvard, um, Northeastern, they're going to be missing Devin Levi, Boston University, they're going to be missing Drew Comesso. I mean, it just, it, you know, somebody asked me if it's a watered down bean pot, and I don't think that's a fair word. Um but it's it's definitely going to feel different, you know, missing some players. And it's been a, a long time since you've had to really think about college players not being with their teams during the Beanpot. I mean, you know, the stories about, you know, Jack O'Callaghan back in the 80 team after they beat Russia found out that Northeastern had won the Beanpot. It was Northeastern's first Beanpot ever. And he was more shocked at that than the fact that they had beat the Russians. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but um, you just don't see this this tournament usually impacted obviously there was no bean pot last year um the bean pot just got in under the gun before covid started two years ago um so it, it just feels it feels like we're really removed from the tournament um and we're still you know with with boston you know, you've got vaccine mandate to enter the arena mask mandate inside it's it's going to feel a little bit different and the you know the lack of some of these players certainly make it feel even more like that so I don't know. I don't. I can't even handicap this. I mean, certainly there's some. You know, Northeastern has some players on their roster still from the you know teams that won a couple. Um, you know, but does that impact it? I don't know. You know, nobody on BU, BC, or Harvard has ever won a bean pot um, on any of those three teams, and so I it's 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 hard to handicap. Should Northeastern technically be the favorite? Sure. Are they missing their goaltender? Yes. You know, BU has probably been playing the best hockey of late. Um, but again, you know, they'll be missing Drew Comesso. What does that do to them? I, it's it's a hard one to handicap this this year. Uh, I meant you mentioned uh, all the players who aren't going to be there uh, from Boston University. I always ask you when you're on because you know I'm a Flyers guy. But uh, Jay O'Brien has been in and out of the lineup this year. I don't know if that's due to injury or what the situation has been. But when he's in, it seems like he's playing pretty good. He's a point per game guy. Yeah, he's the he's probably the best forward on that roster, and he did. He suffered an injury really early in the season. I want to say it was in game one or game two, and then he missed a number of games. He's missed a couple since then. He has had some 
some dings, and that's that's a tough loss when he's out of the lineup. But I think that you're actually seeing BU's production of late, the fact that they are 9-1-1 in their last 11, a big part of that is because they've had their full complement of players. And, you know, Matt Brown, who was a transfer from UMass Lowell, he's been playing with O'Brien. They seem to really gel um, well when they play. <clears throat> excuse me, they, they really do gel on the ice. And uh, I think that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I think that those two players together are really powerful. And I think that, you know, that actually allows some of the players that were stepping up from like the second and third lines to really play their role a little bit more. I think we're seeing the real BU team play of late. And, that, you know, that's pretty effective when you're when you're winning games at this time of the year. As a coach, you feel great and you, you have all the confidence heading to the postseason. And if you stay healthy, I think they, they're a pretty dangerous team. Uh, any other stories that you're following uh, here as the uh, we get in, into the heart of the stretch drive towards the conference playoffs? Well, I know we, we've t- we've talked about Devin Levi, but there's some great goaltending stories out there right now. You know, Dryden McKay out in Minnesota State just earned his 99th and 100th career victories, only the third goalie uh, to get there. And then uh, Yanni Peretz down at Quinnipiac was yeah. not even supposed to be the goaltender this year. They had Dylan St. Cyr. Uh, transfer in from Notre Dame. He was supposed to be the goalie of record this year. He gets injured to start the season. Peretz goes in. He's gone on some pretty good runs. Um, just got a, a, his ninth shutout of the season yesterday at the uh, Connecticut Ice in the championship game of that tournament. Um, so a very impressive uh, goalie that I don't think anybody had on their radar screen. Everybody had talked about Devin Levi. Everybody had talked about Dryden McKay, but uh, keep an eye on Yanni Peretz. He's he's a, a real good story down at Quinnipiac. That is, he's got ridiculous numbers right now. Like every I, everybody, <laughs> everybody is in awe right now of Devin Levi. And and you mentioned um, Dryden McKay is. I, I mean, coming into this year, I think everybody was ready to give him the Mike Richter already. But Levi, with it seems like every uh, second win that he gets, he's got. Well, it is every. He's got 16 wins, nine of them by shutout, and that's ridiculous. But Yanni Peretz. He's got nine shutouts in 13 victories. That in 17 games, that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, the one big difference we can kind of look at right there when when we look at the goaltenders we just mentioned, Devin Levi has faced 600. I'm saying he he has made 654 saves. Yanni Perez has only made 264 saves, and I think a lot of that is a great defense in front of the Quinnipiac team has a lockdown defense. I, I believe coming into this weekend, they were averaging just 16 shots allowed per game. Hmm. Um, I haven't seen them since the opening weekend of the season. Um, but, you know, no matter what, his numbers are still ridiculous. You know, he allowed, he allowed a goal in the first minute of the first game of the season. And since then he has only allowed 12 goals. <laughs> So let's just put that through. He's played 17 games, and since the first minute of the season, you take that one minute out, he's only allowed 12 goals since then. It, wow. You know, a .79 goals against, I think it was as low as a .70. Uh, it's really impressive. Um, and, you know, a lot of credit goes to, obviously, Yanni Peretz, but a lot also goes to that Quinnipiac team. They are fantastic in terms of what they can do in front of their goaltenders. Well, Jimmy, as always, great stuff, man. I appreciate it. And um, I'm sure the next time we uh, discuss things, we'll probably be a lot closer to the actual NCAA tournament. Thanks for doing this again. Always always a pleasure. I look forward to talking again. Oh, Jimmy! Always fun for me to speak with Jimmy Conley from USCHO.com. Longtime scribe there and uh, longtime contributor here on the Pipeline Show. Well over uh, a decade and a half now that he's been coming on the show two, three, sometimes four times a season. 
uh, to bring us the latest, especially around Hockey East and the Beanpot Tournament, but into the National Championship and uh, the National Tournament as well. Always great to track down Jimmy. Up next on the Pipeline Show, scheduled to uh, speak with Mitch Brown from Elite Prospects. Uh, we'll chat about some of the higher-end players you need to know for the 2022 NHL Draft, including a couple of uh, head-to-head scenarios. Well, this guy or that guy and why? That's next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Azarev, still with the puck. Fires across and they score! Pierre-Luc Dubois on the one-timer, wires it past Bo Taylor. Hey, it's Pierre-Luc Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Troubled Monk Brew of the Week has a real dark side to it. Tell us more, bud. A world award-winning brown ale, Open Road, ale that will have you asking yourself why you've avoided dark beers all these years. Roasty and delicious. Play with comparable Zidane Chara, dependable and solid, and not to be looked past. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer and get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at TroubledMonk.com. Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to the Pipeline Show. Tell me his name again. With Gee Flaming. Who? We're back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Of course, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. That is Alberta's best beef jerky. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. My next guest, uh, we're going to get right to it because we've got lots to talk about with Mitch Brown from Elite Prospects. Mitch, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Guy. Always a treat when uh, when I get to have you on the show because you, uh, I, I, I'm a draft junkie, but uh, it's guys like you that uh, that make it that way for me because uh, you you give me all the information. So I've been looking forward to having you on again, and we're gonna get right to it because uh, lots of guys we're gonna chat about today. And I threw a couple of head-to-head matchups with you. There's a bunch of guys that you want to chat about too, but. I thought these were interesting ones because depending on who's ranking or it seems like it changes uh, frequently, uh, Simon Nemec and uh, David Yurichek, both of these guys, European players, they were going to, it was going to be their big uh, showcase at the World Junior Championship. Of course, we were all robbed of that opportunity, but uh, these two guys are ranked extremely high in the draft. Uh, where do you have them at Elite Prospects? I know you have another ranking coming out in in a, in a few weeks, but uh, as of right now, just your personal opinion, uh, how do you pick these two guys apart? So right now they're both top five for us. And spoiler alert, we have not done the next meeting, but <laughs> I will put a hefty sum of money down on them both being top five, if not top four next go around. Okay. I mean, they are two highly advanced, refined defensemen in a lot of ways. Uh, Juracek is, of course, the more defensively oriented one of them. He does have a ton of skill. And Nemitz is a little bit more of the modern sort of activate into the play, always try to create something, and the defense is steadily improving. All right, so when you're comparing them, I guess it, because they're two different players, is it just an ass- assessment of what's more valuable? And I guess that d- depends on which team you're drafting for. So in the, in the long run, do you see a more defensive-orientated defenseman to have more or less value than the, uh, the all-around sort of guy that is uh, so popular these days? Well, for myself, I like Juracek more 
not just because he's better defensively, but because I, I do see more offensive upside with him. Mm. He's a little bit more limited in the activation and joining the play than Nemitz because of the system that he plays in, because of the structure that's around him. It doesn't promote it nearly as much. With uh, Nemitz's team, HK Nitra, I think it is, they get to join the rush nonstop all the time. Juracek doesn't have quite the same benefit. But for me, the key difference is that Juracek, while he does have more play connection issues, like he misses a lot of passes and stuff like that, He's consistently trying to make the best play, where Yurichi, where, where Nemitz, sorry, is more consistently just making a positive play, but not necessarily the best one overall. So for me, the key difference when evaluating those two types of players is where are they going to be down the line? And Yurichek is more in the Moit Sider form of player. So when we go back to Moit Sider's draft year, he tried a lot of things. He failed a lot of things, but he was very good defensively and he was consistently improving. And I think Juracek is kind of on that same pathway. Of course, there is a difference in Sider was uh, was in the draft year and Juracek is the late birthday. I think he's an October birthday. So you would expect Juracek to be a little bit further along. Um, and as for the mechanical differences, I don't think there's much debate that Nemitz is a little bit more refined skating-wise. He has deeper skating posture. It allows him to, you know, access his turns a little bit faster. He's a little bit more powerful overall in terms of speed and output and stuff like that. But your check is, you know, he's a little bit bigger. He brings a little bit more pace to his game. And again, making that best play, always using the inside, always trying to create advantages. And it can also work as a benefit going down the line. When you see someone who has a little bit of skating issues, a little bit of handling issues, but they're trying to make things happen, you say, oh, well, if he just adds a little bit of weight, if he just gets a little bit stronger, if he gets a little bit more comfortable in his frame, he might end up being significantly better. Like, look at the stuff Sider's doing in the NHL. Like, he's doing one-touch backhand spin-around plays and stuff we've never seen from him, even last year when he was SHL Defenseman of the Year. And Juracek is already trying those things. The connection issues are just what's holding him back. Both of these guys are playing professionally right now uh, in their native countries. Uh, Simon Nemec playing in Slovakia and, and David Juracek playing uh, in uh, Czechia. The quality of those two leagues, I, I, I think it's fair to say they're, it's not the Swedish Hockey League, uh, but they're still pretty good leagues, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. And of course, at the end of the day, they are professionals. And that's a huge thing, especially when you're a teenager in these situations. You're in that environment. But there's also a lot expected of you not just in terms of practice, but in terms of adhering to the structure. If you don't adhere to the structure and do your job, you're not going to get minutes. And so that's, that's a big thing, not only, for, not only for like the projection and figuring out what they're going to do, but it means that both of these guys have like, like real chances of playing top four minutes in the NHL within a year or two. Mm -hmm. Like they're pretty refined in that regard. So these are two players who we could very well see in the NHL very soon, and of course the upside is very high. We're talking top pairing ability. Now we saw Yurichek uh, here in Edmonton uh, shortly, or not for very long, because he suffered uh, an injury. Any concerns with that moving forward? Not particularly. And yeah. you look at that tournament, and he played those eight minutes, and those were some of the craziest eight minutes of hockey I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and so, if anything, I think he did himself a little bit of a favor in those in that time. Of course. Uh, it always sucks. I think it was a knee injury, right? And so when you look at a kid who does have some skiing issues, but I think it's more linked to strength rather than like mechanical issues. So he'll be able to get back there with time. Okay. All right, let's move to the next head-to-head uh, -head matchup uh, and pick the, a couple of defensemen out of the Western Hockey League. Both guys getting consideration 
uh, as being first round talents. Uh, I'm not sure where you at Elite Prospects has them uh, at the moment, but Owen Pickering of the Swift Current Broncos and Kevin Kurchinski of the Seattle Thunderbirds, both guys with size, both guys are putting up some numbers. Uh, how do you differentiate between the uh, the potential for both of these guys? Well, what I liked about this comparison is that they're both just chaos every time they step on the ice. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's great to watch them. Uh, Pickering being the bigger of the two, I think he's the lighter of the two as well. Um, you do expect a little bit more inconsistencies in his skating, but he is shockingly fluid for a player his size. Um, it's very impressive to watch him move around the ice, to be able to change directions the way that he does, particularly on retrievals. He's very good. Like He'll shift his weight. Uh, drop a shoulder, forecheck will go the other way, then he'll spin back and come out the back door. Uh, Korczynski is a little bit more of a skilled skater, let's say. So like he can do all the all the cutbacks, the turns, the sharp stuff that Pickering and other uh, and other players can do, and even more so than Pickering. But he lacks the the depth. So like when you're looking at skating, you want to see the knees push past the toes and the hips follow. Not necessarily the hips parallel to the ice, but you know the sort of 90 degree knee bend. And Korczynski's very upright through those maneuvers. So, in effect, he kind of stops where he started the move. So, in the NHL, that's going to lead to some difficulties with him finding separation. But he is quite thin, and you can see the potential for him to learn. And the number one thing is that his awareness of pressure is excellent. So, even though he doesn't have the skating to necessarily pull off all the moves that he tries, Korczynski is able to figure out how the four checker is going to come at him or how the defender is going to come at him and then turn away at the exact right time to be able to advance the puck up the ice. They're both very turnover prone. I don't think there is any dispute in that, but very much like the year check thing. These are two players who quite regularly try to make the best possible play for their team going forward. So they're not just passing the puck straight up the boards to a player who then is going to skate up the boards and dump the puck in. They're looking cross ice for open teammates building speed. They're looking to the inside lane to hit the teammate who's building a speed underneath the puck, and they can create an opportunity for them to then jump in the play and create more offense. And one of the interesting things about them, and this storyline has probably been the most fascinating thing in the WHL, is that at the beginning of the year, Pickering was just trying a bunch of stuff all the time. It was really fun to watch, right? Like Pickering was just coming in, doing spinoramas around guys, deking through them. And you see this six foot five defenseman who's trying all this stuff. And, you know, you can just tell NHL teams are, they don't have their boards ready. They're thinking oh, top 10, maybe <laughs> top five. And unfortunately, I think that has waned a bit recently, but we've already seen him do it. We know that he can create those plays. Whereas Korczynski, he's gotten steadily better. He's kind of moving the opposite direction of trying to create more offense, trying to do more. And in that Seattle team that loves their activation, they love to have a player uh, love to have their defensemen joining the rush, trailing, even leading quite often. Uh, Korchinski's really taken off, especially lately. I, I was going to ask about the offense between the two of them because Korchinski has more points, but I think there's also more offensive talent in Seattle than there is in Swift Current. And you see there, when it comes to their points, most of them are uh, with assists for both players. And I just assumed, and I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like Korczynski would be the type of player who maybe starts the play from his own end and the forwards take it from there, and maybe he's getting a lot of second assists for those points. Is that fair? That was how it started at the beginning of the year, for sure. But I think recently, especially since the, the holiday break, 
he's come back and he's been a lot more aggressive getting deeper in the zone and trying to make plays off the boards to the middle. Hmm. Um, and on top of that, he's just getting a lot more confident with the puck in general from the point. So a lot more lateral movement to try to open up lanes. He's starting to figure out how his tools and how his style of game can create opportunities for his teammates. Fair to say again that uh, you, you, when you described Owen Pickering, I mean, he's lanky, he's tall, but he's thin, lots of room to fill out and, and physically mature. And, Keep in mind, both of these guys, uh, last season, season with air quotes, was 23 games in, you know, in very limited short uh, spring league. Uh, there's lots of upside still for both of these guys, isn't there? Oh, for sure. I mean, these are two of the highest upside swings in the draft, regardless of position. Korczynski, if you can improve the turnover issues, improve the skating, he has top four upside written all over him, and he's going to get big point totals if he can do those. And then Pickering... He's going to play a lot in the NHL. doesn't matter if he's good or not. That's just the way players with his frame work. But, of course, he does have a ton of skill. He is mobile, and the defense has improved significantly. You look at Pickering at the start of this year, he was very passive. Now he's starting to take charge in the neutral zone. He's starting to take charge in the defensive zone to the point where he might actually be too aggressive in defensive zone coverage now. Hmm. And that's a really good shift, right? When you're projecting defensemen, it's much better to be too aggressive than not aggressive at all. As coaches always say, it's very hard to teach a player to be physical, to want to be a difference maker on the defensive end, and I think Pickering very much wants to be one. Mitch Brown from Elite Prospects is my guest. Uh, let's go to the uh, the uh, short list that you wanted to chat about that you gave to me, and uh, we'll stay in Swift Current. Josh Davies, we just thought, saw the uh, Broncos roll through Edmonton. It was uh, not a great game for the Broncos, but I've seen them play a few times this year, and there are definitely guys who stand out on that team, a number of draft-eligible players, and Pickering being one of them, but, you know, Matthew Ward and Josh Philman and uh, Josh Davies is, at the start of the year, I know Central Scouting had him as the highest-ranked uh, of the group. I, I can't say he's wowed me yet. Uh, what, what's your takeaway with Josh Davies? You're probably seeing something I don't. Well, the first thing is that this guy is a menace on the ice. Like, Josh Davies wants to, <laughs> he wants to send people into the third row of the stands. He's very physical. He had a couple of games against Red Deer, home and home, last week, where he was just on a rampage. Like, I think he maybe had 13, 14 hits in those two games, and he was just wrecking guys behind the play. Uh, very interesting player skill-wise, though. So with that kind of power forward style, he's a very skilled puck handler and particularly an NHL-caliber shooter already. The difficulty for him is finding that opportunity to use his shot. So first thing, he overhandles the puck, tries to beat guys one-on-one -on -one too much. You know, that's always going to affect your ability to create shots for yourself. When you have a teammate open, you can just pass it to them and then relocate and get it back without the risk of a turnover. And the second thing is finding space uh, in the slot. He mostly tries to peel away from the slot and get open wide like you know, how Ovechkin takes all those shots from the top of the circle. Mm -hmm. He's trying to score from areas where he's not going to be able to score from in the NHL, no matter how good his shot is. And currently, on a Swift Current team that admittedly is more competitive than I thought they'd be, is certainly more skilled and more entertaining than I thought they'd be, the fact that he's not able to find space in, in the slot and around the net is a big deal. For me, it's not as simple as just being the net front presence. It's about timing these movements. So, Today in the NHL, you score goals not by just standing there. You score goals by identifying an opportunity, reading where the puck is coming from, and then jumping into that space just as the puck comes through, whether that's for a deflection or whether that's a passing opportunity. You look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, they never have someone in front of the net. 
they always have they always have players moving in and out because that creates defensive zone coverage confusions and that also creates perfect opportunity to thrive as a shooter. So Davies needs to figure out a way to get to the inside and use that shot. And if he can, this is a kid who could very well score 50 goals in the WHL in a year or two. Like he's that good of a shooter and you bring you add the physicality into that, the fact that he doesn't want to be a difference maker defensively and the puck skills. Like it's a tough projection. It requires a lot of imagination. But the more I watch him, the more excited I am for his future. All right. That's Josh Davies uh, with the uh, Swift Current Broncos, a high school defenseman uh, who will eventually play for the University of Minnesota, the Golden Gophers, uh, is uh, Sam Rinzel. Is it Rinzel or Rinzel? I, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know if you know. But uh, th- here's a guy, another big fella. He's listed at 6'4 and 180 pounds, so lots of room to still fill out that frame. But uh, the high school guys are always a bit tricky to, to judge because they're playing at a different level than most of the rest of the, the draft class. Uh, how do you assess him? So first off, I just got to give a shout out to one of our scouts at Elite Prospects, Daniel G. He was like, hey, everyone, you have to watch Sam Renzel. You have to watch him. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll watch him in Waterloo in the USHL. And he was amazing. The defense is very much a problem, as you expect for a high school player coming into the USHL. But you compare him to, say, Jack Peart and Scott Morrow from last year, who yep. played in Fargo at the end of the season. He's ahead of them offensively. And he's and this was in November. Like, he's creating a lot more offense. His game is a little bit kind of low-paced. It's similar to Scott Morrow in the, in the sense that he's not just trying to beat players with speed. He's trying to beat players by changing speed, by changing pace. He'll slow down to wait for the four-checker to close in and then speed up just as they reach in and go around them. And the playmaking is particularly fascinating with him. Um, it's very rare to see a defenseman try the plays like he does. I think as bad as this draft is, has kind of turned out. It hasn't been terrible or anything, but there's been a little bit less upside in it than we previously thought. This is a good draft for playmaking defensemen, and Sam Renzel absolutely deserves to be in that conversation with Pavel Mendukov as these guys who could very easily become very strong playmakers at the next level because A, of that manipulation ability, the change of pace game, and B, that he's always looking for teammates. He's never content just to wind up and take a point shot. He'll fake it, see how the defensemen react, and then you'll fake it again, step inside, and then pass cross slot to a teammate for a backdoor tap-in. It's very impressive. And the fact that he was able to try those plays and complete many of them in the USHL at this stage shows to me that he's going to be able to do this in the NCAA. Maybe he's not going to do it quite as well as Scott Morrow was doing it right now in UMass, but he'll be able to do it pretty much off the hop next season. Very impressive player. Three points in three games with Waterloo this year. Obviously, most of the time spent... Uh, playing uh, at the high school level, but you mentioned Jack Peart, and maybe we see, I would expect that we see Renzel uh, join uh, Waterloo for the, the end of the regular season and into the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we will see him another time, thankfully. All right. Well, the uh, his pr- profile page at Elite Prospects has him going to Minnesota in the 2023-24 season. Uh, so I'm guessing if, if that doesn't change, and it, it could, depending on uh, vacancies uh, at uh, Minnesota, but uh, maybe into the USHL for a full season next year, if not uh, going to the Gophers a season early. Uh, a couple of London Knights on your list to chat about. Let's start with Isaiah George off the back end. 11 points in 32 games right now. Uh, a, a good-sized defenseman, 6'1", and closing in on 200 pounds, but I know nothing about him. He's, his name hasn't come up here on the show this year. Uh, tell me about him. Well, he's the best low-scoring defenseman I've seen in a long time. Uh <laughs> 
very, very impressive player. Uh, activates into the rush all the time, tries to create things. He's a very powerful skater. He could benefit from a little bit more mechanical refinement. But as he gets a little bit deeper into his posture, as he finishes those strides a little bit more regularly, he's going to have a significant skating advantage that he's going to carry into the NHL. And then as a puck handler, he has a lot of great detail. So where his top hand sits on his body, a lot of defensemen, it's locked next to their side. That kind of limits the range of control. You know, you can't really move your hand in and around your body to do those like big sweeping toe drags and stuff. He has that top hand in front of his body and it moves all the time. So he has this huge wingspan essentially that he can use to walk through four checkers, walk through defenders. He loves to do these kind of solo rushes where he just breaks down the four check by himself. Part of his point scoring issues this year have been exactly that, that they're solo rushes. If he starts integrating his teammates into them more and more regularly, he's going to have more offensive success. But that's not to say that he isn't a playmaker because the primary way that he creates after beating the entire team is by setting teammates up. And he's, he's got a ton of passing skills, so he'll reach out to pass around sticks. He'll pull the puck into his feet to pass underneath them. And he has some really great ideas. It's not just as... It's not just blindly throwing pucks into the slot. He'll try to delay and try to bait a defender to charge towards him and then pass through them to the now open teammate they just left. So there's a lot to like about him. And then there's the defense. Watching him defend in the OHL just screams NHL caliber. He's very physical. He's very aggressive. He's virtually unbeatable one-on-one. And he's very proactive. He's a very intelligent player overall. A lot of times when you get that level of explosiveness, they just rely on it to uh, to sort of dictate what attackers are going to do without much foresight, and then that can be an issue going down the line. Not him. He, he understands how to angle out attack. So he takes the middle before the attacker on the back pedal, and then as they go wide, he gently keeps guiding them closer and closer and closer to the boards. Uh, it's like the Jaws theme song, right? And then, you know, <laughs> as soon as they get close enough, he's going to run into them with the shoulder and send them to the, bo- and send them to the ground. There's, there's a lot of work to be done on his game, but the upside is, is, is very high. I, I personally think that he could very well end up in the late first, especially if the offense continues to improve in the second half of the season. I'm thinking, I mean, this guy didn't play at all last year because the OHL didn't play, so he's a rookie in the league this season. I'm guessing uh, Isaiah George in January compared to late October, I imagine, are night and day. This is a guy who's probably... Uh, quickly adapted to the league, but really taking it uh, to the next level as the season has gone on. For sure. And that's the great thing about watching the OHL this year is that it works sort of as a disadvantage that you don't get the full season, uh, the full 16-year-old season, but you also get to see more growth in real time. And that's been honestly quite fascinating to watch from a projection and development standpoint. And he's a great example of, of just how you can take a very strong defensive player, very intelligent player overall, and then turn that into a very crafty transition breakout player in a short period of time. All right, another London Knight who also didn't play last year. He's This one's a forward and not a very big guy, listed at 5'10", 180. Uh, he, his name is Brody Crane. He's got 10 points, 5 goals, 5 assists uh, in uh, 28 games this year. Uh, he's on your list to, to chat about what stands out to you about him. Well, the number one thing that stands out is how little he plays and how much he creates for how little he plays. Hmm. Every single game report that we have in the Elite Prospects database basically starts with, we're not sure why he doesn't play more. Because every time he gets on the ice, he does something. Like, he creates a lot of offense. Uh, a lot of it is in a very skilled way, too. He's not just 
uh, chip and chase fourth liner who occasionally breaks the puck off the boards and does a jam play into the goaltender's pads. He's trying to manipulate attackers by going one way and going the other and cutting to the inside. Lots of little passing details to his game. I particularly like his playmaking off the boards. So when he's going in for a loose puck, he'll look over both shoulders, see where his teammates are, see where the opposition is. And then from there, he'll decide whether he's just going to throw the puck to a teammate right away or if he's going to try to delay and try to create something better. He's a player who, not saying he's Christian Dvorak, but very much in the same way that Dvorak had that small minute, a small minute role within his draft year. Didn't play a lot, but the skill was very, very obvious every time you tuned in. And I think Brody Crane could definitely have that big draft plus one explosion next season, provided he starts, he improves the skating a little bit. I think, I think a lot of times though, when you see these turnover issues, these individualistic players, it's more of uh, the result of their situation. So they're not playing, they want to be a difference maker. So they always go for the high value play every single time. And I don't think that's going to be the way he's going to play next year in a bigger role. I think that's just a response to his current situation, but if he's able to keep his knees bent when he's trying to deke through players, maybe set them up with a few more crossovers, he'll be great. I definitely think that he has a top 50 potential in this draft class. Wow. All right. Is there a agitator kind of pest side to his game? Because he's, he's got the same amount of penalty minutes as Isaiah George, who you described as really aggressive and physical. And Crane, you said, doesn't play a lot, yet they have the same amount of penalties. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's he's a particularly annoying player, but I'm also not on the ice, right? Sometimes these answers can surprise you of, of who hard of who is hard to play against because it can point. just be as simple as they sprint up the ice every single time, and that means that I have to be alert 100% of the time. Like Denton Matejchuk is a great example of this. He's hard to play against because if you're a forward and you take a half second off, he's past you sprinting up the ice, and now and now it's a three on two going the other way. So. Yeah, who who knows? It's a it'll be interesting to see if a, like a physical side of his game develops over time, especially because the London Knights have shown an ability to develop that side in players and develop it in a way that um, translates to the NHL without decreasing the player's skill level. Right, stuff like puck protection, the ability to get the puck off the boards into the middle. Uh, Mitch, last guy to chat about is uh is from the Barry Colts. I don't know if it's pronounced Hate or Height. I hope it's Hunter Hate because that's a great name. But uh, you know how to pronounce <laughs> it correctly? Hunter Height. Oh, it is Height. All right. Well, we won't hold it against him. He's got 20 points in 30 games, so <laughs> he's playing pretty well. Another one of these guys who this is his rookie season not being able to play at all last year. And the Barry Colts seem to have turned a corner here since the trade deadline as well. Is he a big part of that? Absolutely. He is. He has really figured things out lately. At the beginning of the season, even even as recently as a few weeks ago, to be completely honest, he definitely looked like a player, perhaps more so than anyone else in the OHL, who really missed that 16-year-old season. His game is all tools. So he has the NHL shot. He has NHL hands. He's got plenty of passing skill. His skating even, even could definitely be out an above average NHL projection. It was just a matter of doing everything together, sequencing everything. So Height's primary issue was that he would come in, enter a glide, then deke, and then, okay, now I'm in a glide, and I just deke someone. I have no speed. What do I do? Right. You can't really do anything from there, and so he would lose the puck. And now he's starting to get a little bit more comfortable with the pace, and he understands that he has to do things together. When you deke a player, you do it inside crossovers, and then you make the next play immediately. You don't mess around with the puck. He's gotten much better at that, and, of course, just the ability to find space and get open. He's primarily a shooter. That was his big calling card coming into the OHL. And now he's figuring out how to get to the inside, 
how to make those timed movements into space like we were talking about with Joshua Davies. So I think the upside is very high with him. In terms of tools alone, he's a first-rounder. The tools are are very incredible. He's he's pretty much like the hockey equivalent of a five-tool player. Like he has the shot, he has the handling, he has the passing, he has the skating, even has a little bit of an edge to his game at times. It's just a matter of doing everything consistently, and he's getting a lot closer there. So I think if he continues this little scoring run that he's on right now, he might end up in maybe maybe even inside the top 25. And I definitely think NHL teams are going to see the value in a player with his tools and skill set. Wow. Uh, size isn't uh, that big of an issue for him, listed at 5'10 and 172 pounds. But we're seeing lots of guys about that size going on and having pro success these days. And especially when you have those tools, right? NHL teams are willing to overlook a lot of things if you're going to come in and, and snipe wristers, bar down, and be able to set up teammates in transition and win your battles and stuff like that. And he's he's getting a lot closer to being that player. And again, the tools are simply too much to ignore. Mitch, as always, terrific rundown. I've learned a lot. Uh, the next ranking at Elite Prospects, we expect, uh, what, third week of February? Somewhere in there? Yeah, probably around February 22nd, 23rd. Fantastic. We'll be looking for that. Thanks again, Mitch. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much, Guy. It's always a great time. There's Mitch Brown from Elite Prospects, and they do such a wonderful job. In it's just a an invaluable resource that uh, that website, the whole database, so much information, and then all the EP Rinkside uh, side of of Elite Prospects. That's uh, obviously wonderful as well. And Mitch is just a wealth of information. Appreciate whenever he's able to make it to uh, make an appearance here on the Pipeline Show. And offering up some names we haven't really talked about here on the program yet this year. So be looking forward to uh, maybe calling the London Knights and getting a, a couple players. And Renzel out of high school. Interesting guys for sure. Another interesting guy is uh, playing for the Kamloops Blazers this year and draft eligible. In fact, there's a trio of players uh, in Kamloops this season that I'm going to try to get on the show here before the NHL draft. Well, the first one is coming up next. His name is Matthew Semenov, high-scoring forward with the Blazers. He's up next here on the Pipeline Show, fueled by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Steals the puck. He's down the right side. Puck's holding him around tonight. Ennis is in over the blue line. He gets away from Ace and walks in. Now Ennis backhand shot. And Sammer makes the save. Another shot. He scores! Hi, this is Tyler Ennis of the Minnesota Tigers, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Well, it's midnight, them rival wound up too tight. Five-time Alberta Junior Hockey League champions, the Spruce Grove Saints, are back and welcoming fans to the Grant Fuhrer Arena for the 2021-22 season. A community-minded Junior A hockey organization offering affordable family entertainment. Tickets to big league hockey at affordable family rates range from $9 to $15 with free parking and some of the best food and drink specials in town. For more information on tickets and how you can become a partner, go to sprucegrovesaints.ca. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The cream will rise to the top. Oh, yeah. The cream of the crop. Nobody does it better. Back on the Pipeline Show, and this is probably this uh, final segment for this week's episode. It's going to be a 2022 draft spotlight segment. We're going to get to know another player eligible for the upcoming NHL draft. But first, 
The Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky, and it's available throughout Western Canada, but you have to get it. If you're not in the local area, you got to go to or you got to contact Trent at WilhockBeefJerky.com, the Leduke, Alberta location, and they will ship it to you. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada, vacuum sealed, fresh on delivery, and absolutely delicious. All right, we're heading to Kamloops, and my guest, uh, one of the outstanding forwards for the Kamloops Blazers, he's having a terrific season, point per game, 36 points in 36 games. Pleased to be joined by Matthew Semenoff. Uh, Matthew, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Good, 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 Keith. Thanks for having me. I right, pleasure to get a chance to speak with you. I know you guys uh, have a busy weekend, right? you got Vancouver on Friday night and then a pair in Victoria Saturday and Sunday, so three games in three days and all of it on the road. I guess no travel on between Saturday and Sunday, but still a pretty hectic schedule. Yeah, three and threes are always are always tough. We had one last week, so, um, you know, they get hard by Sunday, but uh, we're excited, and these are three big games for us, so it uh, should be fun. And you guys have been playing some pretty good hockey right now as we're chatting a six-game heater for the Blazers, and uh, mm-hmm. just everything seems to be going pretty well. I know a new player coming in, and Luke Toporowski at the trade deadline, and he seems to be fitting in really well. Uh, everything seems to be clicking for the Blazers right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, him and Englod are two big parts of our team. And uh, we got Ethan Rowland, who's hurt right now, but uh, he's looking good back in practices. Uh, so I, th- I think the team's looking good right now. We're all we're all feeling good coming to the rink, um, having fun in the games. And yeah, I think we're just we're just enjoying ourselves, just playing the right way. And uh, it's showing up on the score sheet. And on an individual basis, Matthew, you happy with this year? I mean, a point-per-game guy. He had 15 points as a rookie a couple of years ago. The, sh- the short season in the spring, you had 16 points in 22 games. But you got 16 goals in 36 games this year and, and a point-per-game player. I have to think you're pretty happy with that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's always fun like when you're, you're scoring goals and stuff. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, I've been pretty blessed to have to three good years with three good teams. So, um that always helps when you're, when you're coming to the rank and you got a chance to win every single night. So i um, been pretty happy and it's just, uh, it's been fun this year. Um, hopefully winning a lot more games. Have you uh, been with the same couple of guys up front for most of the season or has that changed a lot? I know we just mentioned a couple of newcomers uh, to the roster. So are you finding yourself playing with different guys uh, quite often? Yeah, I think it, it definitely has changed up a lot this year. We've, uh, we've dealt with some injuries and, um, we obviously had Logan Stankoven at World Juniors for a little bit there, even though it got shut down. So uh, things have been moved around. Um, we've had some some trades and guys getting hurt. So it definitely you're not getting too comfortable on one line, but um, it doesn't really matter. I think you know every guy on our team plays the right way, and we're well coached. So um, yeah, it's just it just doesn't really matter who you play with. Everyone's going to work hard and, and try to do their best to help. Probably a bad question. I don't want to put you on the spot, but is there a guy or two that you <laughs> you think you have best chemistry with or the most chemistry with? Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know if there's there's a certain guy right now. I mean, I've been playing with uh, Fraser Minton, uh, who's another guy eligible for the draft this year, yeah. and, and Connor Levis. So two guys we played with last year, um, last year in the bubble. So you know, I don't think there's any two guys particular, but uh, I think everybody on our team plays a good way, plays hard, and I think that's what makes it so easy to, to go out there on the ice and, and play with anybody, whether it's killing penalties or just five on five. Uh, you know, you're going to get the best effort out of uh, everybody on our team. Matthew Semenoff, a forward with the Kamloops Blazers, is my guest in the 2022 Draft Spotlight segment. And uh, Matthew, we like to let the audience uh, get to know somebody that's draft eligible right now. And 
The Pipeline shows a junior and college hockey show, so my regular listeners will know about Kamloops and follow the Blazers and mm-hmm. and, the, and the WHL and other d- junior leagues in general. But there'll be a lot of casual NHL fans who will listen to a segment like this because you're a draft-eligible player. For the benefit of those people who uh, don't follow junior hockey, mm-hmm. let's uh, get some background. Now. Where, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in Vancouver, uh, Coquitlam. Coquitlam, Vancouver, to be exact. But uh, yeah, so not, not that far from Kamloops. Uh, I actually have a little bit of family up here, which was nice uh, hmm. coming my first year um, to kind of have some people at the games and a couple familiar faces. So, um, But yeah, I grew up playing uh, minor hockey in Coquitlam and Port Moody and then um, played midget in Burnby Winter Club uh, with the academy team down there um, and then made my way up to Kamloops two years ago when I was 16. And uh, yeah, I've been here, been here ever since. I have to ask you, your profile page at EliteProspects.com, the website. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it or not, but it says that your your place of birth is Leesburg, Virginia. Were you actually born out in the states? Yeah, I was. I was born in in Leesburg. I grew up in a town called Ashburn, actually, in Virginia. Um, I lived there till I was about six. So um, most of my hockey hockey younger days didn't really come from there. But yeah, I was born born in a hospital in Leesburg and uh so I'm actually a dual citizen um with USA and Canada uh, interesting I didn't know that all right so then when you moved yeah. here is that when you started playing or did you actually find some ice down there to, to play on yeah no I was playing I was playing down there I learned to skate um with my dad he put, used to play junior hockey in uh in junior a in Kelowna okay um when he was around my age so he taught me how to skate kind of got me into the game and uh so I was playing down there probably when I turned about three or four um, they didn't really have great, uh, great minor hockey system. There was kind of one team, uh, per big city on the East coast. So if I was to stay there, they would have had, uh, would have had some better teams, but <laughs> yeah, we ended up moving to Coquitlam and, uh, or to Port Moody, sorry. And then, um, it was, it's just crazy how, how big it is down there. And, um, you know, minor hockey in Canada in general is just, is just crazy. And, uh, it's the best competition. So, um, it definitely helped me, uh, just kind of, you know, get as a better player and just grow up with the game uh, as kind of the main focus in the in the city. Now, at six years old, I don't know if you can tell, but when you first arrived and started playing up here, did you feel like you were way behind everybody else, or at that age, <laughs> did it not take that all that long to catch up? I don't. To be honest, I can't can't really remember. Uh, all I know is I'm since I'm such a late birthday, I kind of I'm a late late oh three, so I was, but I was playing up with a couple for hockey, younger hockey, minor hockey. I was playing up a year. Um, so it was, it wasn't too, too bad, um, kind of adjusting to that. Cause you know, you're also playing with, with a lot better players too, I think at that age. So, right. um, that's kind of like anything, you know, you're, you're playing against the best, but you're also playing with a lot of, a lot of good players too. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to say, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, you kind of look at it now and you look back and think of, you know, minor hockey is a pretty big deal here. So I'm sure it was definitely a challenge and, but it was probably all for the better. You're a forward. Um, have you always been a forward or at other levels, uh, you know, when you were younger, did you try the blue line or heck uh, even throw the pads on? <laughs> no, I've, I've always kind of been a forward at heart. Um, I played a bit of center and winger and kind of both wings, to be honest. So um, kind of anywhere you want to put me up front, uh, I feel like I can you know, step in and do a good job. But yeah, I never actually played defense. And then I'm sure I've played a game or two at goalie uh, when you're younger, because that's just what everybody wants to do. So sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've always, always been a forward. 
All right. Uh, now, when it comes to the forward, you said you've played all three positions. You're a right-handed shot. Everywhere I see you, you're listed as a right winger. Is that where you are most often? Um, I think for the most part, my first two years, I was playing right wing. But uh, for a big part of this year, I've been left on the left side just because, like I said, like the injuries we have and, right. uh, you know, some, some guys missing. So, you know, if there's an empty spot there and, and coach needs me to play it, then, you know, I'm more than happy to do that and, and just do my best. So I'm playing left wing right now. Um, you know, I don't think it's, it's too, it's definitely a challenge. It's, it's a little bit harder, you know, kicking fast on your backhand, but, yeah. um, it's something that, you know, you just practice and, and try to get better at. And, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's been going smoothly and, uh, I haven't had too many, uh, too many mistakes up there so far. Knock on wood. Matthew Semenoff, my guest, uh, forward with the Kamloops Blazers. Uh, take me back to the Bantam draft. Uh, if you don't mind, Matthew, I know when I chat with players and ask them about it, a lot of guys were at school and trying to follow along on their phone or something. Other guys were allowed to stay home and, and, uh, and, uh, keep track of it that way. Uh, what about for you? How did you spend, uh, the Bantam draft? It's actually funny. Uh, there's a lot of guys, um, who are, have the same story as me. We were all, after a game, we were in a tournament in Philadelphia. Wow, you're one of those guys. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I was on that team. So we all uh, we all went to some restaurant after. I can't remember which one. But, um, yeah, we were kind of sitting there at dinner, and everyone had their phones out and kind of just picking off the names, getting picked. And uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I was just sitting there and, and checked my phone, refreshed it, and, you know, I had my name next to the Blazers logo. And, yeah, I was, I was really happy and uh, – you know, it's kind of cool to get to spend it with uh, a bunch of guys like that. Uh, a fifth round pick. So, you know, at, at that tournament, I'm sure there were some guys who were, you know, a lot of first or second round picks. Were you getting a little nervous there? Is you, you kind of had to wait. You didn't have to wait all day or anything. Fifth round goes by pretty no. quick. But. Yeah, no, I was, I mean, I was a little bit nervous. I think you're just at that age, you don't really, um, you think it's like the world's falling down when you're not getting picked. But, yeah. um, you know, looking looking back on it, I think I think it's it's hard to, to really to really put too much thought into it because, you know, you're not really playing in the league until two, two and a half years um, since you get picked. So it's, uh, you know, you, you got a lot of work to do. I've always kind of been, you know, a smaller guy. So I felt like I was a late bloomer coming into to the Bantam draft year. Mm. Um, so, you know, I didn't have, you know, super high expectations as to thinking I should get picked really high. Uh, I just wanted to go and kind of do my best that year and, and try to just work hard and do my best. And, um, was fortunate enough to get picked by an organization like Kamloops. And, uh, you know, it all worked out, I guess. So, um, you know, I think maybe you're in the moment, you're a little bit nervous, but, you know, looking back and like I tell my brother who's younger, um, it really doesn't mean too, too much because you got lots of guys who were drafted really late and they're great players on our team right now. So, um, you know, obviously it's something you want to do, do your best at and just a good goal for yourself. But, uh, you know, if you just keep going and stay in the right direction, I think it, uh, you know, it might not matter as much as you think. When there's 22 teams in the league, chances are pretty good that you're going to be drafted by a team that's not your hometown team. So you're, you're going to end up having to move away at a, at a, you know, at 16 years old. It can be tough for some guys. Now, you you mentioned Kamloops. You might have some family there, so maybe a comfortable spot for you compared to if it was, you know, in Manitoba or even in the States, something like that. So when you see Kamloops, the team that drafts you, were you feeling pretty happy about that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've been to Kamloops a lot for tournaments and stuff, so a little bit familiar with the city. But, uh, you know, it's hard to say. At the end of the day, you don't really know until you get picked and, uh, you know, where you're sit, where you're going to play. Um, you know, I obviously had some teams that, you know, thought would have been pretty cool to go play for and that would have been, you know, close to home. But at the end of the day, I think it, 
you know, you want to play hockey, you want to be a hockey player. I think Western Hockey League is is the best route. So um, that's what I, that's what I was kind of told by by teams and by some coaches and stuff that that all were trying to help uh, you know ease the process a little bit. Yeah. So to Kamloops, Kamloops is a great city, and you know they got great fans and great history here, and uh, I got a great billet family. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's all worked out, and I'm very happy. And the team has been really strong since you've been there, so uh, not everybody gets to go through that experience. A lot of guys will have to play on a really bad team for a couple of years, and then slowly the team gets better. Well, the Blazers have been really good since you've been there, uh, yet mm-hmm. no, no playoffs the last couple of years, really nothing to show for <laughs> it on a team that, you know, you, you were legit contenders. Uh, that has to have been frustrating, but the build-up towards this year, all that time and experience, it must be a motivated group to get into the playoffs this year and go deep for sure yeah i mean I, I don't think it's it's much nerves i think it's just more we're excited and excited to get the opportunity to to get a chance to do something like that in playoffs but you know the last two years we've, we've kind of gone as far as we could so um you know we're super proud of those two banners we get to hang up for bc division champs um but yeah we're we're uh definitely you know extra motivated and kind of want to you know help those two teams just uh carry on that kind of legacy right now that uh you know we're the best team in the bc division and we want to try to continue to prove that and uh you know obviously prove that through playoffs uh matthew Semenov is my guest uh, i gotta ask you about the draft obviously and when i ask the draft eligible guys about the draft a lot of them will say they try not to think about it because they don't want the distraction other guys tell me they want to know where they're ranked and things like that because they use that as motivation what about for you matthew yeah i don't i don't think too much of it i don't really um have social media on my phone so i don't really look through uh any lists or like rankings or anything like that i think it's kind of not not necessarily a distraction but you know you can get a little bit too high or too low on yourself uh looking at that stuff um i think you know what for me it's it's really if i if i'm working hard and i'm doing everything i can to get shots on net and and make plays and and just compete out there then it'll all it'll all work out how it's supposed to so um, you know, I think the lists are, lists are hard cause they got you going in a thousand different places. So at the end of the day, the only real list that matters is the, is the draft one at the end of the year. But I think it's, it's tough to think about that because, you know, you're not playing your best hockey if you're thinking about where you should go in the draft. I think you're playing your best when you're trying to win and you're trying to help the team win. And I think that's kind of been more of my mindset, just, uh, you know, go out there, try to just kill penalties and, and get pucks out and, and just work hard on the forecheck, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, you're just looking looking every day at practice to just try to get a little bit better, and, and it should all work out in the end. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, our coach always says, like, um, there's lots of see so many stories of guys who been played on good teams and teams that win, and it all helps uh, your personal goals too. So um, that's kind of, you know, been my mindset right now, and you're just looking to – to just build on that. Now you mentioned uh, Fraser Minton, a, a line mate, a frequent line mate of yours, who's also draft eligible. So is a uh, defenseman, uh, Matt Lindgren. So you know the scouts are in the building always, uh, whenever the Blazers, wherever the Blazers are playing. Uh, that's not uh, something that uh, you, you, you're conscious of. You kind of you're able to put that out of your your eyesight, not even think about that. So it doesn't bother you in a game. No, I don't think it bothers me. Um, you know, it's something you you definitely are thinking about a little bit. You just uh, you know, it's just motivation to not take a shift off and not uh, <laughs> not uh, be lazy out there or, or take shortcuts. I think, you know, it's just a little reminders, just do the right things and, 
uh, work hard out there and, and just try to play a good game. But, you know, you're not thinking about that too much, trying to impress the scouts or anything. And those two guys work so hard and uh, do all the right things when nobody's watching. So I think that's all you can really control. And, uh, yeah, like I said, just go out there and try to do everything you can to win the game because at the end of the day, that's uh, that's what's important. And that's what's going to help uh, get people to, to see you in playoffs and stuff. And it's going to draw more attention than, you know, having a toe drag in the middle of the game, I think. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's their mindset. That's my mindset. And we're all, uh, we're all happy to be on a good team and just, and just try to do our best to uh, help the team win. Well, for the fans who haven't had a chance to watch the Blazers play and haven't had a chance to watch you play, uh, they, they'll look and they'll see the box scores. And you mentioned the, the 36 points in 36 games, but that might not tell the, the complete picture of what Matthew Samanoff is all about. So when people ask you, how do you describe yourself as a player? Yeah, you know, I don't I don't really necessarily think of myself as, as a goal scorer or, or just a point guy. I think, you know, I can have a good game when I when I have no points, but I could have, you know, four shots on that, a couple hits, a couple blocks. And uh, I think that's what I pride myself on is just doing a little bit of everything. And, um trying to be useful in all areas of the game because, you know, there's there's so much more than than power play and, and offensive zone. So I think that's a lot of teams are looking for is, is you know, you just got to work hard and um, play strong along the boards, win battles. And uh, that's kind of my mindset going into every game. You're not trying to uh, not trying to score the highlight, highlight real goal necessarily because I know I, I can't do that. Uh, not to like McDavid or anything like that. So, um you know, I think you just try to keep it simple and and do all the little things right. And uh, for me, that just translates into an all-around game that uh, you know I try to work on every day. Listed at 5'11", 183 on the WHL's website. I don't know how up-to-date that is, though. What are you at now? Yeah, I'm about the same. Probably 180 now. I probably lost a little bit of weight during the year. Uh, that's just what happens. So i um, doing my best to just drinking lots of water and <laughs> lots of food. Our billet makes lots of food, so... Uh, <laughs> It's uh, it's good to just try to keep your weight up, and you know, you play so many games and play a lot more minutes this year, so um, it's easy to to lose some weight and lose some sweat. So um, we got to stay on top of that. But yeah, I'm definitely definitely around the same five eleven, one eighty. Okay, you said you you were you thought you were a late bloomer. Was that physically a late bloomer too? Do you think there's uh, still some more growth uh, height wise uh, to go, or have you tapped out there at at five eleven? Yeah, I think I, I think I'm talking physically. I mean, I have a couple uncles who are who are really tall, and uh, my dad's not the tallest guy, but yeah, I got some family who's who's taller. I think I'm still growing. I, I feel like I'm still growing, I'm sleeping lots and stuff. So uh, hopefully, a couple more inches would be nice. But it's it's something that I was, I was always smaller growing up. I didn't eat a ton, and then a couple summers ago, kind of dedicated myself to putting on some weight and uh, and just getting in the gym a lot, a lot more. And um, I think it's helped a lot. I feel stronger in my game and stronger in the corners and stuff like that so yeah just uh it's, it's kind of been a long process but uh definitely definitely a bit of a late bloomer physically but uh, i feel like i'm still got room to grow matthew Samanoff from the Camelops blazers my guest uh, just a couple more for you matthew uh being a, a lower mainland guy were the canucks uh, your team growing up or were you cheering for somebody else behind enemy lines um yeah i, I kind of grew up uh as a washington fan just like i said being born in virginia there right. um, close to the capitals went to a couple games there but yeah coming here it's, it's pretty easy i think a lot of a lot of people are vancouver fans um where i'm from so um yeah it's been fun to i get to go to some games my dad's work gets him some tickets sometimes so i'm pretty grateful for that and pretty cool to watch 
watched lots of teams at, at Canucks games, but yeah, I think I've been a Canucks fan growing up. Even now, I mean, that's the channels we get, so I always find myself watching those games. Well, listen, Matthew, I really appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck the rest of the way this season. You got a busy trip this weekend. Uh, good luck to you and the Blazers with that and whatever happens to the draft. I hope we can chat again one day. Sounds good. I appreciate it, Guy. That was Matthew Semenov from the Kamloops Blazers. I really enjoyed that conversation. Well, very well-spoken young man and having a terrific year with the uh, Blazers who are playing some really strong hockey. They've been good. You know what? The, I'm here in Edmonton. I do the Edmonton Oil King games. And we talk, often talk about how they've been one of the best teams in the league, but have absolutely nothing, nothing to show for it because there's been no playoffs. And I'm sure they have division championship banners and stuff, but unfortunately the, they, they don't display them in the rink. The only banners that uh, the WHL team uh, puts up, and I don't know if this is uh, because of the, uh, the parent club, the Edmonton Oilers, uh, or not, but uh, only the championship, uh, like WHL championship and the Memorial Cup championships. Uh, are on display at Rogers Place, which is, to me, it's unfortunate because there's so much history here with the Oil Kings. So even if they do have banners the last couple of years, they're not on display anywhere. Uh, Kamloops, at least they put the banners up so you can see as a fan going into the building that, yeah, our team's been pretty good for the last couple of seasons. But this is a team that's been a contender for the last couple of seasons. You know, a team like that and uh, Everett, you see those teams that have been the top teams for the last two or three seasons they got to be really hungry to get into the playoffs this year and go for it. And that's why, again, with the Oil Kings, they're definitely all in this year. They've made big acquisitions, and they've mortgaged a lot of the future for this season, for that reason. Because, uh, you know, that window isn't open all that often, but it has been for Edmonton and for Kamloops the last two, three seasons, but haven't had the chance to go out and uh, earn it because of COVID. So. The Blazers are all in this year as well, and uh, the addition of Luke Toporowski seems to be paying off. Man, he's been a great find for them, uh, getting him from the Spokane Chiefs. So keep an eye on those Blazers, that's for sure. Lots of talent there. All right, that does it for this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. Next week on the program, I uh, did mention at the top that uh, one of my guests will be Ashley Chase. She is the play-by-play voice of the St. Cloud Norseman in the NAHL. Uh, she'll be in uh, Pennsylvania for the NAHL Top Prospect Tournament. So we'll talk to her about that. Also about uh, being the first uh, female play-by-play broadcaster in uh, junior hockey in the United States. So quite the accomplishment uh, for her. And we'll talk to her ab- about that and uh, more. The 2022 Draft Spotlight segments uh, will be open again next week. Uh, it'll be turned on. And uh, one, if not two, guests. I have reached out to uh, one of the European players uh, that uh, I had tentatively scheduled for right around the world junior but then that tournament got canceled and of course we'll keep our eyes on everything uh, in the prospect world of hockey in the canadian hockey league the canadian junior hockey league the ushl the nahl the ncaa and uh, with the nhl draft so uh, lots that we're going to be paying attention to and watching for between now and next week a reminder please be kind and treat each other with compassion Whatever your take is on what's happening uh, in our nation's capital here in Canada with uh, the convoy that went across the country and are still in Ottawa, whatever side of the fence you're on, just remember we're, we're all struggling. We're all tired of, uh, of COVID, but it's, it doesn't have a personality. You can't argue with it. And remember that, you know, it's not all that long ago we were banging pots and pans to celebrate the efforts of uh, doctors and nurses and uh, frontline workers, and firefighters and police officers and 
and truckers and uh, people who are in the working in the grocery stores, all the essential services. And now there's just so much of vitriol out there because everybody's tired of it. Compassion. Please treat each other with compassion and empathy. Now, whatever uh, side of the political spectrum you're on, decency goes a long ways. I hope before next week's show, you are able to get out and watch some junior or college hockey safely so that you and I can talk about it next week here on The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. My name's Keith Flaming. See ya.